back to another edition of Ball Don't Lie right here on 1049 The Horn. We like to call it a freak flag, feel good, fake it till you make it. 512 Football Friday edition of Ball Don't Lie right here on 1049 The Horn. We got a lot to get into and we don't have a lot of time to do it. So we're going to get right to it. We're off early, a truncated abbreviated edition of Ball Don't Lie right here on 1049 The Horn. We got Longhorn topics to get to. Uh, of course, we'll get into the Texas basketball commitments from yesterday. A lot of hype, a lot of love about that, and a lot of good mojo about the Texas basketball team. We'll also get into some Texas football discussion. Apparently, there are reports, multiple reports that Malik Murphy was indeed being courted via the transfer portal. Uh, we'll get to that report as well. We got some NFL discussion that we'll get to, talking about the Texans, a little bit about the Cowboys, all of that and more. Before we do, let's introduce you to the rest of the crew. We're live from the Mullet Open, so my man Harge is out there on the golf course doing his best impression of Tiger Hood. But in the meantime, <laughs> we got my man Patrick Davis holding it down. He's one of the hardest working members of the ARN family. He's got a hustle spirit, period. We don't know what he's Paid, but we'll show that he's underpaid. Patrick Davis, how you doing, brother? I'm doing good, man. We're in the AC, so I'm much better. We are. I'm still sweating. That's I know. Right. I, the walk, the walk here got me sweating. Exactly. I, was, I, was, I don't know. How hard is going to come in here. We have to, <laughs> we're going to have to get like a 10-foot radius. He's going to be sweaty. Yeah, profusely, I'm assuming he's going to be sweating. But uh, out here for a great cause and a great event uh, for the Mullet Open. Uh, so it is a uh, – Bucky's right here. He's still working, man. Even right now he's working. Actually put Chad and Zay to work. They moved a television screen. <laughs> I don't know how big this TV is. 86 it, inches. Wow. I didn't know. I didn't know they made them. I don't have a room that big. I, there's nothing in my house. Yeah, there's no room in my house that I can have an 86 inch TV. It's not gonna look right. And you can't put 86 inch it's TV right. with like a table no. you found on the side of the road. No, Boat no, no, no. You can't no. do that, look. No, you know what? The only place on my house where an 80 plus inch TV would work is in the backyard. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only place that it worked. Every other place, it would look it would look really awkward and out of place. Uh, but that we could do. But uh, in the meantime, you can hit us up via the Twitterverse. That's the best way to do it. My man Patrick Davis at It's Patrick Davis. I'm at Rod Davis in the Twitterverse. You want to cyberstalk my man Harge, you can do that as well. He's at Hardball Harge in the Twitterverse. All right, we got a lot to get into on the show because, uh, first of all, we may have a visit from Bucky. He may hang out a little bit, so we may get interrupted at any time. That's great, and we'll tell you about the Mullet Open and what a great event that it is. Uh, in the meantime, though, we're going to start off with the NBA review. We'll get into the Lakers. Uh, man, just a, the Warriors putting an Old Testament, old biblical-style butt-whipping on the Lakers. I said that we both thought, Patrick, that the Lakers would lose this game because they yeah. probably go into it a little bit relaxed just because they know, hey, we already won one on the road. That was the job, job well done. And there was desperation on the side of the Warriors. I had no idea. Uh, that the desperation will be that much of an advantage because the Warriors <laughs> came out, man, backs up against the wall, and they played like it. So we'll get to that and break that down. Also, you got to give Steve Kerr a lot of props. Yesterday, what I say? I said, Coach will win you one or two games in the playoffs. Yeah. That might have been a Steve Kerr game. Yeah, I can it see that. It might have been a Steve Kerr I, game. I mean, I'm going to give it to Clay. Yeah, but Clay ain't the superstar. It really no. Steph's a superstar. So counting on Clay to do that is just kind of found. Oh no, money. you didn't count on it. You didn't count on it. No. You found it. Steve Kerr made some adjustments that did, were impactful. Extremely I, I mean, impactful we saw in that game. Starting off, the fact that he benched Kevon Looney and put in Jermichael Green into the starting lineup, where you're like, I get it. But it's it does illness of something. Well, no, no, no. It was because he came off the bench. The problem was when you had Looney. But I heard he's dealing with an illness too. He, he may be. The, yeah, I, the real issue the they illness. were having was that Anthony Davis can sit underneath the basket when Looney's in the game, mm -hmm. and so they can't drive the paint at all. When you bring in Jermichael Green, he goes three for six from three. It makes you a stretch five, but he can still guard Anthony Davis. It basically opens up the court where now everybody can drive on you. It makes it. It's just harder to defend the Golden State Warriors when there's not a guy in the paint who can block everybody's shot. So they were trying to pull him out. And even though Looney is a rebounding machine, the problem was he can't stretch Anthony Davis defensively out anymore. So that was their main try and switch was basically they were when they would play Looney and then they would also have uh, another power forward in like Draymond Green or someone else. They had two bigs in the game and two guys that weren't massive three-point threats. And they basically said, we have to have four three-point threats on the court at all time, and then we have one big in, but and we need to have as many three-point threats as we can. And the point of that is out. to spread the floor, honestly, yeah. spread the floor for Steph, because Steph was more the main ball handler in this game, in this game too, and I, I don't know why there wasn't more pressure on Steph. They did double-team Steph. This is actually um, and it, it's, a, it's a crazy stat to bring up, too, that if you go look at this is the second time in Steph's playoff career where he had more assists or as many assists 
as he had field goal attempts. Yeah. Because they double-teamed him a lot, so he became more of a distributor, became someone who was going to kind of facilitate the offense. But he was the main ball handler a lot more, and his pick-and-roll game, or pick-and-roll, I should say, rate, picked up a ton. He had 22 uh, if you look at 22 pick and rolls in game one versus the Lakers, 20, and that was in 38 minutes, 24 in game two, but only in 30 minutes. So you're talking about increasing his, his, his rate of those pick and rolls because he was the main ball handler more often times than not. Yeah, I mean, you get him to, to be able to move around. He also limits his turnovers down to three, which is big. That is big. Uh, because we know he had too many turnovers in, in game five one. five of them. He had five in there. So you add 12 assists, two, three, only 33 turnovers. You're, you're just playing a more productive game. But if they are going to try and double over on Steph Curry, other guys have to step up, and that's what Klay Thompson did. Yep. Uh, we saw Jordan Poole got put in timeout. Uh, <laughs> he took two three-pointers in that game. Uh, he missed both of them. He was, I believe, they went into the game film and they were like, Jordan Poole, if your feet are not within a foot of the three-point line, you pass the ball. You don't even, you don't get to dribble anymore. You've lost all privileges. <laughs> we don't trust you. Revolt. <laughs> you, you're heat checking the whole game. So he, but he became useful in other places. And then we'll throw over to the fact of, if you looked at one of the biggest discrepancies in game one that evened out in this game, it was free throw attempts. Mm-hmm. That L.A. shot 27, I believe, in game one to 10, 4, or to 6 from uh, Golden State. Now they even out to 16 and 17. Much more even. You want to take L.A. off the free throw line. That's a team that lives on the free throw line. They'd love to get 25 points off of free throws a game. Uh, when you limit them to – first of all, they shot terrible at the free throw line. Uh, 10 to 17 is awful. Yeah, it is awful. Uh, but that was also somewhat they brought in some guys like Tristan Thompson went one for four. So Tristan we, we, Thompson. That line hey. – he said he was going to play. He played. And I, fe- I felt bad. Mo Bamba has dealing with an injury. He can't even get into this game. He, he That's was, a great point, he too. Was, yeah. he, was not, he was not dressed out is why he did not get in. He, he's dealing with Yeah, but he's a injury. non-factor in the postseason period. Period. Even though you would think he's still hurt. Tristan Thompson came in and looked like he hadn't been on a court in two years. Hey, man, friend of LeBron. It's like being a friend of Aaron Rodgers. I'm a friend of LeBron, friend of Aaron Rodgers. That's what you want to be but in life. You know, that game, you know that game is very out of hand if Tristan Thompson is in. That is not a good scene. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's straight. It turns so quickly, right, because yeah. first quarter of that game, the Lakers are up seven. LeBron had 14 points in the first quarter, and we're, I'm thinking to myself, damn. LeBron, I know he smelled blood even after game one. Yeah. And the Lakers were five of eight from three-point range. And I was like, because the, 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 I think the game plan, and I think it was a smart game plan by the Warriors, was, no, no, we're going to give them a three-point shot. They're yeah. not great from three-point range. So at certain players, we're going to give them a three-point shot. And LeBron was one of them players because LeBron hasn't been shooting great from three-point range this postseason or really even this season period. Uh, but, man, it turned, and it turned quickly. So basically right after the first quarter, and Lakers up seven because they had an amazing first quarter, the Golden State Warriors, he's Essentially score 84 points <laughs> over the next two quarters, 56.4% uh, shooting percentage, and they hit 14 three-pointers, and they had 25 assists, by the way, to seven turnovers in those two quarters, and that was it. That's yeah. all she wrote. Fat lady started singing because it was a done deal. Yeah, and I mean, it's one of those things where it, when it started to go bad for the Lakers, Ooh. it just kept getting worse. They're getting massively out-rebounded. You're getting one shot up. And then they're getting run back on, and you could just tell. They, Anthony Davis and LeBron and their legs started to it, – it was, it was heavier to run. You know, when you're down, oh. when you're down 12, all Great of a sudden, point. oh, man, my legs are a little tired, coach. My, I'm, and he, they were just not getting back on defense as much. They weren't making as, as hard of cuts. They weren't going to be the guys who blocked shots because they were blocking shots early in the game. Anthony Davis mm-hmm. still had three blocked shots in that game. But everybody else kind of wasn't helping out as much in the paint. It, it seemed very much like they were in it for that first quarter. They came out, and when the Warriors responded, Lakers threw in the white flag pretty early in this game. That's what I thought. I was yeah. like, it seemed like midway through the second quarter, they were like, oh, man, I think. And it's, it's great because it reminded me of the 14-0 run late in the first quarter. First, yeah. fir- first game, excuse me, when I thought, oh, man, this might be it. No, the Warriors, when they get that, when they get that supernova, they kind of hit that, that, that Category 5 uh, supernova status where they basically – essentially become almost unstoppable or indefensible. And they did that in the, in the first game late in the fourth quarter when they thought it was, it was time to close it out and the Lakers were able to withstand that run. And I thought, all right, the Lakers are going to be able to withstand this run. It's so early in the game. Hey, you know, second yeah. quarter, they can have a really bad second quarter. No, that bad second quarter, it was even a worse third quarter. And after that, game was pretty much over. And to your point about transition 
game for Golden State and how they exposed the Lakers in transition. Golden State Warriors had a 166.7 offensive rating in transition. Lakers were at 46. Yeah. They that, looked old, and, and the Warriors are old too, but the, they made the Lakers look old. No, and I mean, and look, I'll give LeBron credit. He was trying to take a charge in the second half of that game when they're already down, and it's, and that's, I think that was also the point when there was the charge that gets called a charge on the court. Steve Kerr reviews it, and then it goes back, and they end up getting a foul on LeBron, and the ball goes to Golden State. That kind of sealed. It seemed like that was the end of of anything where the, it was all of a sudden it could have been like a five-point game and all of a sudden it blows out to 12 within a, a couple seconds and you just go, oh, well, we're, we're it's, it's not coming back now. LeBron then started to play a little bit less defense. It went into hero mode offensively, which he just can't always do anymore because if that three's not falling and you're trying to do hero mode, he was taking a lot you're of too threes. too easy to defend because yeah. you ain't got the three-point shot. So. And he hit it early, and then it just he when he, he, got, he got in his own head there, I think, and it just went to hero mode. We knew Anthony Davis was as oh, much as you hate man. to call it. You were just like he's not going to come out and play it's that hard in two that, games in a row. That narrative sticks. Yeah. I, I mean, and it, is it not that he's playing hard or he's just not playing well? Was it not hard? It was he it, not playing hard. It's not I, a lot of. Was it just not intense? Was he? I, I mean, I think it's that I think he's it's, playing it, hard. He's just not playing well. He can't play well. He, back he, to he back. definitely started out because again, that first quarter they all played hard. But Anthony Davis is one of those guys that when he gets the yips, he gets in-game yips. That's what I like. I like that better. Yeah, and, it does happen. And I, he yeah. gets in his own head so much that he just becomes a non-factor in the game so quickly because it's, I mean, I missed a couple, I missed a couple bunnies. And, oh, they scored on that one. Oh, man, they're dragging me out to the three-point line. I, I, Jermichael Green hit a three. On, uh, why am I even out here? Like, Anthony <laughs> Davis, you just won game one for the Lakers. Exactly. And by game two halftime, you're like, I shouldn't even be in the league. I, you can't, I don't get that changeover that he has in his brain. But he gets down on himself so quickly, and he just kind of falls out of, out of mattering in a game to where he's not – like when you're a post player, it's, so much of it is effort before you touch the ball, right? You have to get the position because the difference of how fast you get down the court – is, you know, two or three feet difference right. on a shot. And yep. that's, you know, percentage-wise how much easier it is to hit the shot. So if he's not running down and getting in position and then fighting the guy and then getting his hand up and trying to move around and watching where the, his teammates are so he can get a passing lane, and he's not he's that's not really doing that. That's what you mean by that. the effort. That's what you mean by the yes. extreme effort. He's like coming down, and he's okay. 10 feet, yeah, yeah. 15 feet away from okay. the basket. Lazy reps. With, with a hand on a guy, not body, yeah. hand, like an arm on a guy. And then go give me the ball, and then he gets the ball, and it's a jump shot or it's a long, you know, kind of throw up. Those are those are much harder shots, and it's not the effort where he can really dominate because you're getting three, four foot shots over and over and over, and you can just put up points at a huge rate at that. He seems like he just when he gets in his own head, he stops doing that part of hustling down the court, getting in great position, and being a beast. It's a lost art in today's NBA. He can still do it. But then he wants to be a three-point shooter. He sees exactly. Michael Green hit three. Now, uh, I mean, I'll just, you know what? That's, that hurts less. I'll tell you what. He, now, if you ask Anthony Davis, this is what he said after the game. He said, quote, I took all the same shots I took in game one. I just missed them. Elbow jumpers, pocket passers to the floater, uh, same exact shots. Didn't shoot no shot that I didn't shoot in game one. Just missed them. Like LeBron said, they made adjustments, shot the ball extremely well from three. We'll be better. I'll be better making those shots. Get back home on our home court and take care of business, end quote. So, to me, that kind of goes to the relaxed attitude they had going into it. Like, hey, man, we already won our game on the road. We're good. But to what you just talked about, about the inconsistency, the, uh, the extreme fluctuation, erratic nature of his, his performance and productivity, he, can't, he basically is cryptocurrency to me. I mean, he's yeah. – <laughs> right? And, you, and hey, he, you can hit big with him uh, one night, but also you can lose it all with him one night too if you want to build it all around him. But I'll say this, though, once again, getting back to Steve Kerr, man, he can win – if you've got a good coach, a good coach is going to win you a game or two in a playoff series. He put Draymond Green on him a lot more in game two than he did in game one. As a matter of fact, Draymond Green went from defending Anthony Davis for 34% of plays in game one to 62% of uh, plays in game two. Um, and as a result of that, you go look at the productivity when Draymond Green was the, the, the primary defender. Um, it says Davis went 4 of 8 from the floor and averaged .89 points per play uh, when Draymond Green was the primary defender in game two. So he still actually was pretty good percentage-wise. But like you said, he wasn't aggressive and for some reason 
and D- Draymond Green was able to be uh, effective in taking him out of his game, or at least yeah. that adjustment was part of taking him out of his game. Yeah, and I mean, he took eight less shots, but you can say he didn't play in the fourth quarter. So, game was so over. you say, all right, he took a few less shots. The real issue is he takes seven less free throws in that game, mm-hmm. which means he's not getting into where you get – again, you get that position under the basket. And when a defender – the the room for that defender between himself and the basket and you is much smaller – he can't just go up his body and kind of lean back and not get a foul. He has to go into you because otherwise he's underneath the basket. Yeah. And there's no like, – you can't stop the shot then. So it just makes it – you just have – that leads to the aggression that gets you uh, more free throws. And he hit went eight of eight in free throws in, in game one. So that's seven points they missed out on out of Anthony Davis of just effort and getting into the paint. I, I agree he's taking the same shots. He just took less and he did them less aggressively. And it's the same shot, but the difference of if the shot's from five feet or from eight feet, it's a big difference. Yeah. No, I'm with you, especially about the efficiency and getting back to that point about points in the paint because if you're talking about points in the paint, you're talking about AD. Whether you're on the defensive end or the offensive end, he's going to determine a lot of that for the Lakers. Golden State Warriors in game one, uh, they actually got uh, whipped in the points in the paint in game one. They were outscored by 26 points in the paint in game one. They actually outscored the Lakers uh, 48 to 42. Uh, but points they won the points in the paint in yeah. game two. Now they didn't dominate points in the paint, but it was so lopsided. Yeah. Um, their offensive identity, or at least the offensive game planning in, in game one, was so lopsided toward the outside shooting, the perimeter shooting, uh, that I think they lost. And we, we talked about six free throws in game one, and that was a huge disparity that ended up determining the the winner in that matchup in game one. I think now. The, the free throws, that, that improved a lot for the Golden State Warriors, but also their presence in the paint. They got to yeah. the rim more. Yeah, and I mean, and again, we saw that fourth quarter. There was a lot of guys getting free passes, but there was a play in there with Draymond Green where they just – no one rotated over. Mm-hmm. And I get letting him shoot a three. You, that's hopefully all right. But if you let a guy catch a ball two feet behind the three-point line and then run to the basket and dunk it, and no one's going to try and take a charge. No one's going to step over, do anything. They all just watch it happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Man, this is, that's a guy who's not supposed to be scoring, and you gave him two free points. That kind of effort, that kind of mental lapse is the one that tells you that they weren't going into this game with the same uh, intensity and the same yep. thought of, man, if we don't steal one from them here, like they just got to take one in L.A. and we're done. And I think they knew they had to steal one. They got game one, and it made it game two not matter to them once the Warriors tried to put up a fight. And they just need to realize the Warriors are that team. The reason why they're champions is because it's a team that does not give up fights. They're like like a Kansas City Chiefs of a team that they're never down too much because they can always shoot themselves back into a game that you go, oh, they're down 15 points. Cool. It's, It's back. Like, you thought you could rest your players. You can't against the Warriors. So you have to understand, you're never going to get that space out. The Lakers are not the team that gets 20-point leads. They haven't been all season. You no. have to be able to finish these games, and you have to play strong for the 48 minutes. And I don't, I, I, hopefully when they go back to L.A., we'll see a better game. Uh, I think they'll have a little bit more intensity and a little, they'll be a little bit better rested when they play in L.A. But uh, I, I, even one thing to lose this game, but to mentally give the Warriors the edge that they have your number that bad, that you were able to win game one, but they came back on you. And now game two, they just destroy you. You have nothing. It, it's not a great mental – it's not great to give shooters the idea that they're better than you. That's a great point. We talked about the, like, basically the margins in game one, right? It, it was the first game in the history of the Golden State Warriors where they hit at least 15 or more free uh, – sorry, three-pointers than their opponent and lost, right? We talked about the mar- – it was just one of those games where – if the Warriors had hit one or two or more of those three points, they were 21 of like 50. I believe they were 21 of like 53 yeah. or something like that. 20, sorry. Uh, yes, they were Yes, they, they were like 21 of 53 in that game, and they were 21 of 42 in this game. <laughs> so yeah. way, basically half in this game. I think they were 39% in game one. And we talked about it. It's like, man, and, and you said it. If they make the extra pass, if they take the extra dribble, 
or if they step up one or two steps uh, for, I don't know, half of those three-pointers where they uh, – Jordan Poole's hit checks. Yeah. Or just that they settled for whatever uh, situation or settled yeah. for whatever positioning that the Lakers gave them. They probably would have hit two or more three-pointers they win that game. If they get to the free-throw line more than six times. Guys, yeah. I, 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 give, I gave this stat yesterday, but I'll give it again just to kind of show you the margins in the game and how crazy it was. The Golden State Warriors' six free-throw attempts are the fewest in NBA history for a team that <laughs> shot – 50 or more three-pointers in a game ever, regular season or playoffs. It was just one of those crazy games, and now I'm with you. I think the Lakers saw the, uh, the force that was met all right, with them in game two that the uh, Golden State Warriors brought with that desperation. And, and maybe, you know, I know going back home, you, you got home court advantage going back because you, you already won your game on the road. But, man, a desperate, uh, a, a desperate team like – uh, Golden State had already has championship DNA. Yeah, that's scary. It, that's it is. scary. Now they they may, they may not be that desperate the entire series, but man, when they're desperate and focused, watch out. No, and we saw it when the bench just cleared that Golden State's got a bench too, and the Lakers don't. We the Lakers when they cleared that bench, it did not look good. And you go, man, it was it was hard to watch the end of that game, and so. You can just look at it and go, man, this is a team that's really good. They have depth, so you can't even really go at them, and they're in the, just trying to get them in foul trouble. And Darvin Ham is going to have to come up with a really big game plan for game three. Yeah, what's his adjustment? Because you have to start yeah. guarding these threes better. You have to be able to – now you said, well – we're going to get, make Steph – we're going to try and make Steph a non-factor. They did. It made him work more, but he became a distributor. And made then, him a real point we're gonna, guard. We're going to trust that Jordan Poole and Klay Thompson are going to hit. And in game one, Jordan Poole did okay. Klay Thompson did not. Game two, Klay Thompson goes Ooh, off. He went off. Hitting everything. And when that happens, it puts you in a position where you go, well, now how do we guard two guys and then just try and get them to pass it to Jordan Poole all day? It's got to be situationally. Because yeah. like you can do the Steph thing. Because the Steph thing, I think, I think it worked to a certain degree. It does. You, you forced it. Like I said, I gave this stat earlier. Second time in Steph's playoff career where he had more assists or as many assists as he had field goal attempts. It was 12. So that, to me, that's kind of a win because you basically take yeah. the most lethal weapon in the NBA and force him to become kind of a role player. That's a win uh, if you're talking about coaching-wise. But – the, the Kim Kardashian, Nicki Minaj, Serena Williams, size, Cardi B size, making the second size, but is uh, Clay eight three pointers and scored thirty points, and it, it happened in such a a rapid time span, in such a uh, uh, it happened in such a quick time that only two quarters that you were out of the game basically after the three quarters. Yeah, it was it, the, and you won the first quarter. Not only won it, you dominate the first quarter. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's just it's going to take a big game plan from Darvin Ham defensively. Because I don't think that the Lakers have the firepower to go shot for shot with the, with the Warriors. If you're trying to just outscore the Warriors, that's not a, a recipe for winning if you're the Lakers because you're going to, you know, your best scorers are two-point shooters. Anthony Davis, LeBron James are going to be scoring in twos, mm -hmm. and you're going to be shooting twos while they're shooting threes. And the it, math on that up. it does not add up. <laughs> and the math on that so up. I, I, you have to figure out defensively how do you slow them down enough how do you get them to funnel into an Anthony Davis? Get them to play your game. Because you, you played their game. Yeah. Right? You, you, you want to basically push them off the line and feed them in to an Anthony Davis who's been playing good defense. You're going to have to play – in the NBA, you can kind of play zone now because there's no more illegal defense, but you just can't have three in the key, so you can't sit in the paint. But you can kind of get away with it, so you might have to kind of go into more of a zone if you're the Lakers to – and I get you can shoot over the top of a zone. It works. But you may have to try and do that just as, an, as a way to try and really push guys and have a shot blocker in the back to try and protect your rim because you just cannot let them get going on the three-point line every game and hope you're going to win a seven-game series because they're going to miss enough. To piggyback on a couple of points you made, um, number one about the three-point shot because you ended up playing – Golden State Warriors. You, you tried to beat the Golden State Warriors at Golden State Warrior Basketball. Yeah. Instead of play, instead of forcing the Warriors to play Laker basketball, which is kind of what you did in Game One, right? Game Two, the Lakers took 25 total three pointers in Game One. 25 total three pointers the entire game. Through three quarters, they had already taken 24 in Game Two. <laughs> they end up with 34. They were 10 or 34. Yeah. They, they, were playing, they were playing the Warriors basketball, and you can't beat the Warriors at playing Warriors basketball. No. That didn't happen in game one. And also to your point about you, you, can't out, you can't 
you can't have a game plan that is dependent on outscoring the Warriors. That's yeah. like having a game plan dependent on outscoring the Chiefs. You ain't going to do it. Yeah. That's, it's a, silly, that's a fool's it's a, errand. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's foolhardy. To, to that point, how about the stat? You'll love this. In 32 quarters of basketball this postseason, and, and coming into game two, this is going into game two, between the play-in game against Minnesota, the first-round series against Memphis, and the Lakers game one against Golden State, the Lakers hadn't allowed 40 points once in a quarter. Happened twice. Back-to-back <laughs> second and third quarters in game two. They hadn't allowed, all postseason long, they hadn't allowed one 40-point quarter. They allowed two of them. Back to back. After, by the way, after winning the first quarter by seven points, they allowed two 40-point quarters in a row, second and third. So that goes to the point you're saying, you can't try to outscore them. You need to get back to playing defense and making it about getting to the free throw line, points in the paint, everything except outside shooting. Because if it comes about that, you're going to lose. Yeah, and I mean, you're it's going to be – it's you know, it's an interesting thing when you're the head coach of a team with LeBron James and you're the head coach of a team with an Anthony Davis in today's NBA with the Stars – because you need to go ream this team about their defensive effort, and you need to really get into them and get them fired up. But you can't do it to the two players that you need to be leading the charge. So you just have to go yell at everybody else on this team. It's going to be a tall task for Darvin Ham to get everybody to buy in enough of this is exactly what we need from you, and then go over to Anthony Davis and, like, dude, we need you to not take games off. I'm glad we got, you. We're glad we got a good one in game one, so at least we got a shot of getting five of you yeah. in a series. But – we have to have you show up in, in multiple games back-to-back. You can't, you can't say, well, I did the same thing. No, you didn't because we were all watching. He <laughs> did the same thing. You, get, you had 30 and 23 you, again. You would have <laughs> more similar results than what you had. Uh, but, no, to, to that point, though, it's like that old adage that the, yeah, the NCAA was so pissed off at Florida State that they, uh, they penalized Missouri, <laughs> that they gave Missouri a – like, that's basically what you're doing. Yep. You can't really, as a, as a coach, you're Darvin Ham, you can't get on Anthony Davis or LeBron James. You have to hope, and I think he's right about this hope, that they are such uh, gifted athletes and they are su- such alpha personalities, maybe not AD, definitely LeBron, that they'll see it, they understand what it is. LeBron still claims, and he's right statistically, they're the best defensive team left in the playoffs. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, if you just when if you look at the stats and everything, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I agree, they don't always perform like that because a lot of that is is dependent on AD and how AD plays. If AD is on his game, there is no better defense actually in the playoffs yeah, than the Lakers. Because I mean, if you say Vanderbilt plays at the level he can play at, AD plays at his level. And LeBron, he actually had a bad game too. Yeah, Vandy, Vanderbilt. And so it's I mean he did well enough defensively, mm. but yeah, yeah he wasn't he wasn't the factor that he was in, in, game, in one. game one at all. Uh, I, I just. There's just so many things that you did that you did well in game one that you failed to do in game two, and then the Warriors played a much better game as well. Amen. And I don't know how you respond. I don't really know what the full game plan is for the Lakers. It was easy for us to go after game one and go, this is what the Warriors need to do, right? Mm. We could see easy problems. You're taking bad threes, take better threes. You need to uh, you know, start trying to get to the free throw line a little bit more. All those things are easy. Now you're looking at it and go, I know you say we need AD to play better. We need AD to, to score more points. We need LeBron to score more points. That's not really a game plan. So I don't defensively how you try and stop the Warriors, it's always a hard one. I, they're going to have a heck of a time trying to get out there and figure out a way to continue to get, not let Steph Curry get off and let him go off for 40 points, 50 points in a game. Mm-hmm. However, now you've got to stop Klay Thompson again. Now you've got to make sure Jordan Poole doesn't get off you got to make sure that, you know, now if they're going to be playing Jermichael Green more, that he's not just getting wide open threes and becoming a guy that is exiting out Anthony Davis because he's pulling Anthony Davis away from the paint so he can't be a shot blocker. And he's hitting threes because Anthony Davis is sitting in the middle between the two, so he can't really contest the shot or block the shot. It becomes a – it, be- it becomes a problem. You can say a Foster Cluck. Yeah, and it's, I, I, that's where I think, I think you may try and go into more of a zone and just have to change things up, which a good defensive team normally doesn't like to do because it's the same way Nick Saban likes to play man because he goes, if I have the best players, I can play man. Exactly. He doesn't want to do that, but I think you might have to in this game, too, in game three. Uh, uh, real quick stat before we get to the break here. Uh, keep this in mind for the next round. My man BK showing up. Uh, the guy's a star in H-Town. Anyway, uh, getting back to it. Uh, 16 straight wins now 
for home teams in game two after losing game one. So teams down 0-1 in the series yeah. at home are now 21-1 straight up and 20-2 and against the spread in game twos since 2019. And, by the way, the, they're, they're basically the average point spread that they cover by in those games, 10.1. So that desperation factor is real. Oh, yeah. Teams get real desperate, man. It's like I'm down 0-1, especially if you lost at home. Oh, oh, and, and they went. They went down. Nobody wants to be down 0-2. They didn't have to go on the road. Ooh. Oh, and, no, and they no, went no. down 0-2 in that round one too. Mm-hmm. Like, man, we don't want to go seven again. Exactly. I, like both these teams know, you have to play most likely Denver, who is who is playing the best basketball in the NBA right now. Yep, agreed. And so you're sitting there. You know that's there. And as much as you don't want to look at it, you know it's there. Mm-hmm. It's a big shadow. And it's going to be a hard series. It may go seven, and you know that's going to be even tougher than this yes. series. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you. I totally agree with you, no doubt. All right, uh, good stuff there. We'll come back. Uh, we'll get into the Big 12 Commissioner Brett Yarmark. He's been on the job less than a year, and he's already making some big changes, making a lot of people uncomfortable. And I effing love it. We'll come back and talk about that more right here on Ball Don't Lie on 1049 The Horn. Welcome back. Ball Don't Lie right here on 104.9 The Horn. Uh, we are looking live, ladies and gentlemen, from the Mullet Open. That's right, the Mullet Open. Uh, how long have we been going now? 20, 20, 22 years. I know it was 20-something years. years. I know it was 20-something years. Yeah, it's been a long time. Uh, 512 Friday. That is the uh, purpose of Fridays. Here the musically-themed days of the week. 512 Friday with my man Patrick uh, he plays songs from very talented human beings, uh, artists, and bands who you have a chance to hear live right here in the ATX. Who we jamming right now, Patrick? That oh, is we Del Castillo. <laughs> Del Castillo, one of the best uh, Latin bands you will find. So if you want to celebrate Cinco de Mayo tonight, they're oh. playing down at the Railhouse in Buda. A uh, really good show they put on. Uh, so it's a perfect way to celebrate Cinco de Mayo with Del Castillo down at the Railhouse tonight. Oh, man. I for- you know what? I even told BK we might hang out tonight, so I lied to BK. Cinco de Mayo. Hey, Cinco I can't go out there. I apologize. We're going to do that tomorrow. BK, we're going to do that tomorrow, bro. I forgot about Cinco de Mayo, man. I forgot. BK is like he's 10 years younger than me. So I, oh. 15. How old are you, BK, now? 29. He's All 10 right. years younger than he's me. Like fi- close to 15 years younger than me. Exactly. Come so on. BK's going to be out in them streets. I can still drink with him for the yeah. most part. Oh, I can't. I know I, I know I can. I'm not going to do it to myself. I'm not gonna, <laughs> that's like if I, that's, it's me going out there to try to uh, play seven-on-seven seven with the Westlake kids. I, I, oh, I can't do that. Oh, I'd pull a hamstring, no. left side all messed up, tearing ACL, something like that. That's basically me going out with BK on Cinco de Mayo. At least the Westlake something kids. Something bad's going to happen to me, and BK's going to be perfectly fine. The Westlake kids got good first aid, though. So if I did, I'd be all right. <laughs> that's <laughs> true. When I keel over on the I field. I imagine everybody's insured. We're like, we were stretching. <laughs> we were just stretching. He already had a heart attack. And there's a good chance there's a doctor somewhere, <laughs> somewhere. near that campus there that will also be able Does to know resuscitate you. Does anybody know a doctor? Yes. Know a doctor? Like, yeah, Very my true. dad. <laughs> <laughs> my dad, actually. Uh, there you go. So, yeah, uh, BK, I'll hit you up on Saturday then because it's uh, not going to happen tonight. Forgot about Cinco de Mayo. My bad. My bad. I, I'm, too old. I'm too old to go out on Cinco de Mayo. I'm the old guy in the club. I can't do that no more. That's it. I can't be the old. It depends where you go. No, no, no. I'm always the old guy in the club. If if I go to any club on 6th Street now or downtown or Rainy Street now, I'm the old guy in the club. I got to go to a place where it's like. That's true. You're talking about going to clubs, though. Remember Cougar River? Remember Cougar River back in the day? I need a club like that. Oh, where, yeah, all the coo- where all the cougars are hanging out, all the cougars in the I mean, I'll, I'll, show you some, I'll show you some bars in South Austin that you get, will be, you'll be the youngest guy in the room. Oh, well, see, I don't know. I don't want to be that either. You, you, you may also be the only black one. But <laughs> is, this, is this bingo? <laughs> what, what's happening here? What's going on here? Uh, exactly. See, that's, a, that's why it's a little tough. That's why it's a little tough. Um, okay. We'll, uh, we'll get back to some of uh, the, uh, the hijinks here at the Mullet Open uh, in just a second. Let's get into this Brett Yarmark story, man, because it's interesting. And people really haven't kept up with this because there's a lot of other stuff going on. So, and we won't talk about it a ton. But I thought it was pretty interesting. So Brett Yarmark, who became the Big 12 commissioner, and I think this was less, like, in August, I believe, is when he became the, the, 
the official commissioner of the Big 12. So we're talking about less than a year. And he's already made some big-time changes, which we'll get into. But the latest uh, potential change that he is uh, pursuing here or uh, that he is presenting to folks is he is going to change up the broadcast for the football games. And I imagine not just for football, probably for basketball too. Um, he is basically now saying he wants to make everything younger and hipper and cooler in the Big 12. Those are his words. <laughs> and he wants to modernize these football broadcasts for the Big 12, including live in-game interviews with coaches. He wants access to the locker rooms before and after games, which I think happens for most teams, but maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe it's for Longhorn Network has access to Texas in the locker room before and after. But I imagine every, I imagine like just the production of whatever broadcast network doesn't necessarily have access all the time. He wants access for every game and he wants in-game interviews. And he says, these are his words, while the ball is in play. I want in-game interviews with coaches while the ball is in play. Okay? Uh, So access to locker rooms before and after the games, live video, um, and he said it can be pre-recorded locker room video too. So he's not saying it's happening at the time. He, it can be pre-recorded, I guess, before the game. But he's he's basically um, he's presenting some very bold initiatives to try to make the Big 12 a little bit more appealing. And on top of all that, by the way, on top of the broadcast um, adjustments that he's thinking about making, uh, just to try to make it a, a more appealing, entertaining broadcast. He's also going to have. Co- uh, he, he's the one who is saying this, by the way. They're going to have college football games and college basketball games in Mexico City and in Monterey, Mexico. College football in Monterey, Mexico, basketball games in Mexico City in 2024 and 25. And Brett Yarmark says that <laughs> this is part of them expanding and exploring new avenues to create revenue, but expanding the brand of the Big 12. He also is going to have a – how about this? There is going to be a business, a Big 12 business summit, May 22nd and May 23rd in DFW, a symposium focused on key industry topics and best practices and networking and guest speakers and all that kind of stuff. Uh, he's also, don't forget this, he's going to have a Big 12 Pro Day. Yeah. First conference to have their own yeah. pro day. I mean, this is happening next, next year in Frisco, a conference-wide pro day replacing uh, and advancing traditional pro, uh, pro days on campus. And he's actually partnered with the NFL and the NFL Network yeah. to have this Big 12 Pro Day broadcast, something else that is kind of a bold, pioneering initiative that no other conference has done. I, it's like four, th- four things right here that no conference has really done, no, no it, Power 5 conference has done and explored, and he's already – a year into the job saying, we're going to do this, 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 and this. I, I can tell you, Sark is thrilled they're going to the SEC. <laughs> he is going to be like, how much are y'all going to find me for not doing this for one year? You want to talk to me during the game? Yes, he does, man. Ooh. I mean, like, during the games, baby. Yeah, that, that, that's not going to go over great with uh, – with most of the coaches, it and won't. then like, and then I think there's going to be some there's going to be some pushback from from the I, once Texas and Oklahoma leave, then I don't know there'll be much pushback for a Big Twelve uh, pro day. Yes, because everybody point. else because everybody else needs it. Those, those yeah. other schools are like, dude, we we have more people at ours. You're you're leeching off us. Great point. We don't need we don't need this. Totally, agree. and that's probably why he's doing. It. He's like, no, 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 Texas don't need it. This ain't for Texas and Oklahoma. No, this is for Kansas and West Virginia. Yeah, <laughs> where nobody wants to go. We're gonna have it in Frisco. You brought this up too about basketball. Yeah, no, it is. It scouts prefer to go to city like Austin is one of those places that, and we mm-hmm. say so. Use this in the recruiting pitch for basketball. You you will see more scouts at Austin games than pretty much anywhere else in the Big Twelve. Kansas maybe because it's historic arena. And so people will go there just because it's Kansas. Plus, they have really good players. Yes. Uh, but Baylor, they're, they're going to watch Baylor in Austin. <laughs> yeah. Because they're just like, well, where are we going to stay in Waco? What's the best hotel in Waco versus the best hotel in Austin where I can have, you know, put this massive bill on. Great food, great yeah. restaurants, and everything. go do all this Music. Stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's just there's more to do in Austin than a lot of Big 12 cities. So all the scouts will watch. So there will be scouts basically in every single Texas basketball game that you go to. Because they're watching them and whoever else is on the other team. So depending on the other team, but when they when Texas played Baylor, it was a sellout of scouts. Like probably 
30, 40 scouts there. Wow. I remember seeing Mitch Chubchek, the GM of the, the Hornets, who were going to have a one of the top That's picks. That's crazy, man. You saw all the – like, you, I'm sure I'm sure R.C. Buford, or one of the Spurs, had a big representative there as well. Mm. Makes so, perfect sense, though. But you have those yeah. – but you're like – so for pro days – they're Austin's like, dude, we're fine because we control everything. Mm-hmm. And we, we know what's best. And we know, hey, man, we have this player. We need to showcase him here. And we can put him. We don't want to go to yours yeah. and you go out and you say, well, we have uh, 10 really fast wide receivers. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to put yours, who's a number 11. You're like, I don't, we don't want our player to be 11th at anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we don't want to put him out there if, if they just got fast. He's a better wide receiver, but now he's going to look bad because he's the 11th fastest. Mm-hmm. So I think there's. For bigger schools, they might not like it. I, with the Big 12 moving the way it is, yeah. I don't know what school would then have a problem. I don't know. You, you figure somebody's going to start somebody, taking over the yeah. – Like I, somebody will take over the Big 12. Yes, there will be a, a, a big dog. Whoever yeah. the big dog is, we don't know. But when Oklahoma and Texas, there'll be, there's not a blue blood in the Big 12 anymore, but there will be a big dog. Yeah, whether K-State figures out how to keep it going, yeah. where they've been building really well. Baylor Tech, whatever. TCU just was in a national championship game. I yeah. know that they have it issues could, recruiting. It could be five or six schools could, could become the, yeah. the big dog in the Big 12 when Texas And, and we, Houston really is, could be. Houston's one of those schools that – You're in Houston. You're, you're in Houston, and it's basically they've just been in a smaller conference for so long that it's kind of put them down. But we've seen what the basketball program has done. The football program has been on the come up for several years. So when they move it to the Big 12, they, they, they may take daddy. that next step. Yeah, They got Tillman for tea. They got a sugar daddy. Yeah. I mean, one of them. And you get Mattress Max to come out and do oh, yeah, money there, too. I mean, he yeah. gives money to us, but he'll give money to them. Hey, he's a lifetime <laughs> longhorn, but yeah. he lives in H-Town. He's like me. Yeah. I'm a lifetime longhorn, but I love H-Town. I was born there. So there but, yeah, I, the one that gets me the most is those in-game interviews when you say the phrase – with the ball in yes, play. Yes, that, that, that actually was part of the, the language while the ball is in play. Oof, I think they want that. Now, I think that can be like canned right before, like right when you come out in the field. Yeah. Like three or four minutes. I think you can record it. I think that's how I do it most of the time. They record it, yeah, can like, it, and they do it in NBA too. They you do it in the NBA, can, yeah. And then you play it. You do it between quarters, and when the, the third quarter starts, yeah. or when the fourth quarter starts, during they the shoot play. around, they yeah. do it, but then you play it during that, the game. That's okay. I hope that's what he's talking about. Like, yeah. while the, I think he means play, oh. play the interview while the ball is back. He's talking about a coach needs to basically take away from uh, watching his own team during the game to do an interview. That's XFL stuff, and that ain't going to No, work. and that's that's that's, XFL that's an MLB. In yeah. MLB, they'll do it because it's a manager and well, it's, it's a, a slower, slower game. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. you'll see those where the guy does it, and then every once in a while you'll watch an MLB one where you can see that and you just see him getting more and more frustrated because something's going wrong. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, we'll let you go. And he's like, thanks, headsets throw. Oh, Poppy should do that famously. Pop would, uh, oh. And it would be – I don't even know if it would be doing action or whatever, but Pop would just be an eternally annoyed. But yeah. honestly, okay, I'll throw this out there. Brett Yardmark is a smart man. Like, this guy's been – all around media, and he understands media extremely well. That's why he was an outside the box hire, but the right hire. Uh, he may want some of his coaches to be annoyed by this. Yeah. He may understand, like, no, do you understand what those moments are? That's viral. That's virality. That's, we go viral with that, all right? We go yeah. on social media. People learn who that coach is. A coaching rant or a coaching, I don't know, a faux pas, whatever it is, faux pas, that actually ends up going viral more oftentimes than not, and it doesn't end up being, like, Unless he drops, you know, some f bomb or something like that. Yeah, yeah. It usually doesn't end up being something that's really negative, no, it's perception no, wise against the coach. It just goes viral for a while. We go, ha, ah, that was funny, and we play it. We play yeah, it on air. No, I think he's going for that. No, you get the Dennis Green or the Jim Mora or yeah, one of those. Yeah, you get a little bit. One of those like, where like we're just playing terrible. Yeah. we're just terrible out there. Yeah. You get that. I quote, think he yeah. may want a little bit of that. And I'll say this because oh, yeah. I know we're up against it. When they made this hire, I because I I saw this on I think it was like a TED talk. And they were talking about hiring for big jobs, like CEOs, you know, uh, of Fortune 500 companies, hiring for, like, presidents of, you know, major, like, uh, financial uh, institutions, stuff like that, right? Yeah. And I threw head coach in that category, too, head coach, a general manager, just a really high-stress job, and you're top of the pyramid, top of the hierarchy there, and you got to make those tough You're playing for everything. Yes. Uh, they, and I love this quote, too. You have to decide to hire either a dinosaur or an alien. Simplify it for yourself. A dinosaur or an alien. Dinosaurs know the terrain. They're wise, usually old, <laughs> ancient sometimes. <laughs> right? They're connected all right, to their, in, their, their environment. So they're really connected to their environment. They evolve right, to fit their ecosystem. They're usually battle-tested. All these things, which are, which are really good, and that may be exactly what you need for your job. They know the predators. They know the prey yeah. of the ecosystem, all that stuff. But an alien, 
doesn't have any of that stuff I just listed. But the alien has something the dinosaur doesn't have. Perspective. A 30,000 foot view to see things that dinosaur can never see. Right? I come in as an alien. I fresh perspective on everything. That's Brett Yarmark. He's an alien. Yeah. And he's got a fresh take on everything. Because all the dinosaurs here, they see the world the same way. He's like, no, nah, man, I don't see it like that. I'm an alien, baby. And I honestly, I think it's, what's, it's exactly what the Big 12 needs. And college football, is, as they, they have now kind of caught on to this, because Kevin Warren with the Big 10 and now has moved on to the NFL, he was kind of an alien, all right, an outsider. Uh, Klyovkov for the Pac-12 is kind yeah. of an alien. So I do think some, some of them have figured out, man, I need an outsider. I can't have the, the insider's not going to work. The dinosaur's not going to work. I need an alien. I need yeah. an outsider. Yeah. I will, and I, I think he's doing a great job. I he will is. say he needs to get a spokesman for him, though. You think so? He's the worst at interviews. He's just dry. He's he just dry. He just doesn't have a – he's got charisma. Dry. Charisma is what yeah. he lacks. He will, he will sit there and explain charisma, to you yes. something that sounds really cool in yes. a way that makes it sound very uncool. <laughs> <laughs> that well, is, I don't disagree with we're, that. we're throwing a concert. Jay-Z will be headlining. <laughs> and, uh, Beyonce is going to perform some never-heard tunes during this concert. It, it should be a fantastic time. <laughs> like, Thanks, Brett. I don't want to go anymore. <laughs> Buzz kill Brett. <laughs> Buzz kill Brett. No, that's what, I've seen him talk. He is really dry and yes, got monotone. But he's I like I like some of these ideas. I, that, that great ideas with with the ball in play though. Boy, the ball in play. I, I could. You will have some moments this year, and you will have some moments of a sideline reporter basically just going, "Well, he's not he's not talking." Exactly. Which, which I'm saying I think Brett Yarbrough wants that. I think he yeah. I think he wants to see Chris Kleiman have a little bit of a meltdown right after halftime. Oh, can you imagine uh, <laughs> was it Snyder? <laughs> oh. Just it, I mean, I think I think it just it, it fits a little bit. I yeah. said Brett Yarbrough's all about going viral. He understands media probably better than any other conference commissioner in college football right now. Yeah. All right, we come back. We'll get to the flex. We're live from the Mullet Open right here uh, on 1049 the Horn. Welcome back to Ball Down Live right here on 104.9 The Horn. We are looking live from the Mullet Open, the 22nd Mullet Open. It's a beautiful thing. My man uh, Bucky's out here working hard, all for a good cause. We'll give you some more details about that. But it's a 512 Friday. That's when Patrick plays jams from local bands and artists, very talented human beings that you can catch live right here. The ATX, who jamming right now, Patrick? This, another single to Mile show for you tonight. Los Alcos are playing tonight at the Far Out Lounge. Enjoy some Cinco de Mayo at the Far Out Lounge. Los Alcos. Oh, I like that. There you go. Um, all right, my man, Patrick, always hooking you up. Cinco de Mayo edition of Ball Don't Lie. Uh, so happy Cinco de Mayo to everybody out there. Time for the flex. FLXATX.com. FLXATX on all of your social media platforms. Go check it out. As a matter of fact, uh, you can go review the Wednesday night flex uh, that the guys had. It was a great uh, Wednesday night flex. They actually had uh, It's Small on there. Um, so uh, And also uh, they had uh, some other special guests. You can go check that out at FLX. ATX.com. I was actually doing a little bit of a breakdown, and I'll probably get into this um, in a lot more detail next week. Uh, but I do uh, kind of an annual uh, kind of evaluation of what players were drafted from what parts of Texas and try to compare that to the rest of the country. So since 2020, so we're talking about four drafts now, uh, since 2020, DFW now is the king of all of the, uh, the cities in Texas when it comes to basically draftable players who played high school football there who were born there. They have 50 players who have been drafted since then who played their high school football in the DFW area. 50, 50. of them since 2020. Houston, 40. Shout out to H-Town. H-Town's at 40, uh, so H-Town is second. And how about this? In this year, DFW had 12 players. Houston had seven. Hey, Central Texas, do you consider Waco Central Texas? I mean, if we're going to try and compete do against it? Houston and Dallas, I'm going to. Derek says yes. That's four then. If you consider Waco Central Texas, yeah. there were four players drafted from the Syntex area um, to the, uh, the NFL. 
But if you take Wakewater up there with three, still pretty damn no, good. No, we're, we're going to claim it. You're going to claim it? Because <laughs> East Texas also had three players uh, that I believe they're taking, and including Tyree uh, Wilson and Kendra Miller. Okay. Are from out there. And they got East, some big boys over what there. They call, yeah, call it Beast Texas. Yeah. I believe Justin Wells always calls it out there. I think he lives out there in Beast Texas. But how about this, though? So, compare last since 2020, the states that have produced the most NFL players, Florida, uh, sorry, Texas is number one. Texas is at 128. Okay. Then Florida's at 116. Uh, actually, Georgia's overtaking California, guys. If y'all are still saying California is in the top three of basically the most fertile football states in the country, you are wrong. So stop saying that. It's Georgia. Georgia dominates California now. Georgia's had 95 players drafted since 2020. California's only had 85. I believe the Pac-12. Uh, it, it's, more, it's more about population I, I, growth. Yeah, I is. mean, I, I'll give you a little number about Texas here because we talk, we talk about Texas players. It's more about population growth. So here's a little stat for you. And it's a crazy stat, too. It's mind-blowing every time I see it. So the Texas Triangle, basically between Houston, Dallas, and San Antonio, what connects them, 75% of Texans live in that triangle. 75 percent of the population yeah. is in that triangle <laughs> right if you want to recruit usually so don't waste your time anywhere else because it's you know i mean in terms of bang for your buck return yeah, on yeah, your yeah. investment the best return on your investment is to stay in that triangle dfwh town and then you got austin which is right all around there too yeah it's kind of right there san antonio houston dallas austin yeah you stay right there you'll find all the times you need uh but anyway i'll, I'll dive deeper into this but just throwing it out there if if Houston, or say if DFW was its own state, it would basically have only five states ahead of it in terms of producing <laughs> NFL talent. That's Drafting crazy. NFL talent That's since crazy. 2020. It'd be, it'd, be, it'd be top five. DFW. The DFW area would be top five. Isn't that crazy? Doing Texas proud. Dude, it's unbelievable. So, even I'm an H-Town guy, and I hate giving DFW credit because I'm H-Town. You know there's a rivalry going on all the way back to Cowboys and Love Your Blue and J.R. Ewing and yep. Dallas TV show. But I'll admit, DFW right now, whether it be state titles in high school sports or whether it be producing NFL talent, ain't nobody touching DFW right now. Nope. Hell, even high school basketball. Right? Like the basketball, too. Yeah. You're talking about basketball talent, too. A lot yeah. of those guys are coming from the DFW area. Yeah. They're producing a lot of talent there. All right. All right, sorry, H-Town. Had to throw that out there. <laughs> um, but Syntex is doing really well, too. That's all about population growth, though. And sooner or later, listen, if Syntex already has three, just from the central Texas area, Houston's got seven. Houston's one of the biggest cities in the world. Yeah. You know what I mean? So Syntex is growing really fast, and we see it every time there's one of those population, uh, any kind of, you know, population addendums out there when it talks about what states or what cities are growing the fastest. Syntex is always in there. So, yeah, it's in that category. All right, we come back. We'll get into uh, oh, this Malik Murphy story is really interesting, guys. So it's being reported by Chris Hummer of 247 Sports that Malik Murphy has been courted by other Power 5 programs, and he declined, decided to come back to Texas. We'll talk about that and more right here on Ball Don't Lie, 104.9.